A teenage daughter came home one day and was incredibly frustrated and went straight to her dad. Dad, that was the worst piece of advice you'd ever given me. Her dad was perplexed and said, Honey, I don't understand. What are you talking about? You told me to put my money into that bank just down the road. But dad, that bank is in incredible trouble. I don't think it has enough money to stay in existence. The father was incredibly perplexed and said to the, his teenage daughter, Sweetheart, I don't understand what you're talking about. That bank is a solid bank with a great reputation. It is a national bank. It can't be in trouble. She looked at him and said, Well, I don't know, Dad. But I went to the bank today, and they gave me back one of my checks. And on the check, there was a note that said, Insufficient funds. I, I don't know about you, but often the issues of our sufficiency seem to be not somebody else's, but seem to be our own, my own. What we, need is, uh, what we need is available to us, but the problem is based on our response to either the provider or the provision. Think about this, those of you who have, uh, who have had kids, especially in the teenage years. Have you, ever, have you ever had one of these moments where your teenager goes to the fridge, opens the door, looks into the fridge, stands there for what seems like eternity, and then closes the fridge and says, Mom, Dad, there's nothing to eat. A poor response to provision will make us feel like we're lacking. And a poor response to the provider will also make us feel like we're lacking. We often see this in our relationship with God. Here's the truth. It's never about whether God can provide, but rather what we allow God to do. Today I want to look at Psalm 23, and you can either turn in your Bibles or you can follow along with us on the screen. The Bible says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. We're going to just look at the first three verses today. But this is a psalm by David, and, and he's using very familiar language of, of, sh of a shepherd, something that he was, something that Israel was very familiar with, a very common role within society. And what's so interesting in this passage is David doesn't use language that, that is collective or corporate that we see throughout Scripture, where, where you might read something like, God is our shepherd. David personalizes this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And in this, this great psalm that so many people know, David speaks about how God provides, how he looks after us, how that we never need to be lacking, that God is sufficient in every season. And he really points out three seasons where we see this, see this ability of God to be sufficient. I want to look at these today. God is all sufficient, number one, when I'm in need. David begins and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What David's saying is that he, he is never in want. Whatever he needs, God provides. And one of the things he says is that God makes him lie down in green pastures. It's an interesting, it's an interesting sentence because in Israel there really were two seasons where there were green pastures. That was spring and summer. And then in the fall and the winter, the, the pastures weren't so green, and it was harder for, for sheep to have what they needed, the, the food that was required for them to sustain their health. But David says, it doesn't matter what the season is, God provides what I need. He leads me towards those green pastures. He makes me lie down in those green pastures, regardless if it's the spring or the winter. 
Some of you may be saying, but I've faced seasons where I was lacking. How can this be true? Well, I want to point you to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Paul writes these words, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. Now, let me just stop there. We, we, we find this moment where it appears that Paul is saying that there are moments where you're lacking. He says, I, I, I know what it's like to be in need. But then he goes on and he says this, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It can be in need, I can have plenty, but there's a provision that God gives me regardless of what's before me, and that's his strength to sustain me through whatever season I'm in. Who gives me strength? When Paul was feeling a lack, God gave him what he needed until the next meal. Let me tell you this. God will always give us enough to sustain us between provisions. Between provisions. Gives you a meal, then you, then you go and you start to get hungry, and, and he gives you the strength to go on, that you won't die, that, that you won't be, be in trouble until the next meal. He gives you the strength you need until the next meal, between meals. I want to point you back to Exodus chapter 16. It's a great story that tells, talks about the Israelites getting to the desert of Sim. And when they get to this place on their way to the promised land, they find themselves without food. And they begin to crumble, uh, grumble and, and they start complaining and they say stuff like this. What, do you not remember what it was like to, to be in Egypt where we sat around the big pots of food eating meat and they say, we had all that we wanted. Let me, let me just stop here for a second before I continue on with this, this story. Whenever we feel discomfort, we begin to question God's provisions. Let me point this out. Many times in your life, you'll see a provision of God, and then you'll go through a season where you're, you start to get hungry, whether it's for a job or finances or a relationship issue or some health matter or, or, or maybe food itself. You begin to get hungry, and you begin to feel the discomfort, and you will be just like the Israelites saying, don't you remember when we had this before? And you'll begin to question God. This is what was taking place, and they're beginning to question God because they're feeling the discomfort within their belly. God responds and says, look, I'll take care of the Israelites. I, I will always meet their needs. And in the morning, he provided these flakes on the ground that were able to be used for, for bread. It was called manna. And in the evening, he provided quail so they always had enough food. And he had this one condition. He said, I want you just to take enough. I, I want you just to, to make sure that you have enough just from meal to meal, from one day to the next. Don't take more than this day because I'm going to give you all you need the next day. Just, just enough. Well, most people did this, but there was a group of people who thought, I, I can't trust God to provide all my needs. And th they took a little bit more than they needed for the day. And the next day came, and as they went to their food, they realized that the food had all kinds of maggots. It began to stink, and it wasn't even edible. They, they didn't listen to what God had said. They didn't trust God, and what they preserved for themselves became spoiled. I love one of the passages in this chapter, in Exodus chapter 16. It says this, verse 17 and 18. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, 
some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did, did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. This is so important. God provides enough for our true need so that we become dependent on Him, not on the provision. Friends, when you are in need, God will give you enough from meal to meal. He'll give you enough from one provision to the next provision. He is all-sufficient. We also find that God is all-sufficient, number two, when I'm empty. The Bible says, He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. David speaks about God's sufficiency when we're empty. He talks about how God leads us to a place of still waters. It's that place where there's no chaos. It's that place where there's no distractions. And, and then he says he restores my soul or he refreshes me. Or, or maybe even the, the better translation in the original Hebrew is he restores or returns our passion. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you have felt like you were empty? Where you felt like you lacked emotionally and you were just going through the emotions just existing? I remember a number of years ago, I had just come through an incredibly busy season. We had run our junior high convention, our district conference, our youth convention. That was, that was the end of April, beginning of May. And then just a few weeks later, we had our youth pastors retreat. And then we went into four weeks of camp. And, and in those weeks of camp, I would normally do somewhere between 90 and 120 hours of work each of those weeks. I was completely exhausted. And I found every summer as I got to the last camp, I would, I would be spent. I would feel empty. We're at this camp. And, and I, it was my last camp of the year. And my friend Alan Griffin was speaking. And I remember we had booked this worship team, and, and I got a phone call from one of the other st staff members from where this worship pastor was from. And the, and the pastor said to me around 4 o'clock that day, he said, look, I just want to tell you that the team got out late, and they're going to be late arriving. We were supposed to start service that night at 6.30. And, and it was already 6 o'clock, and the team still wasn't there. I didn't know what to do. And so at 6.30, we gathered in the, the tabernacle at Ottawa Valley Pentecostal Camp. And I said to everybody, hey, we're going to do something so strange, but our worship team's not here, and I'm going to have swimming to start camp off. It was the strangest decision, but we just didn't know what to do. And so the camp was dismissed with their counselors, and they went swimming for the next little while. Around 8 o'clock, I had anticipated that we're going to have to use somebody on the grounds to lead worship because the guy still wasn't there. And, and as I'm about to make that decision, the worship leader arrives on the ground, pulls up and says, well, we're here. There was no apology. There was nothing like that. I was so frustrated. And I says, you've got 15 minutes to get your stuff onto the stage. We're beginning the service at 8.30. And that was that. Camp began. And I thought that may have been my only problem with this worship team. But as the week went on, the worship team would be on the stage and, and we would be in a, in a night service and they'd be wearing sunglasses, shades, in the middle of this dark, dark auditorium. It made no sense. And there were moments where I was having to speak to the, the worship team about the curfew and, they, and, and had to confront them a number of times. And I just continued to have problems. And then we'd get to altar times and, and we would see God start to move and all of a sudden the band would break into this, this really heavy song, this praise song that would just disrupt everything, just there was a lack of sensitivity around the altars and I was getting so frustrated that week I 
remember going out with my friend Alan, the, the speaker, and we're sitting in, in a restaurant having chicken wings. And, and I, we were talking about everything that had been happening with this worship team, and we're laughing about it. And, and it came to a point where I said to Alan this. I said, Alan, I, I don't understand what my problem is. I always deal with things. I, I, I'm, I have no problem dealing with conflict. I would normally talk to this guy and pull him in and confront him and get, lay out everything that he needed to do. I, I would just deal with it. I said, I don't know what my problem is. And then I said these words. I just need a holiday. I just need a holiday. You see, I was in this place where I was so exhausted. I was so emotionally spent. I had had so little sleep over the last four months that I had no, no emotional fortitude within myself to properly deal with it. I was empty. And all I could think about was a holiday. I'm not saying that holidays are not needed. Because every one of us needs holidays and we need to find ways to replenish ourselves physically. But too often when we find ourselves empty and unable to properly deal with things in life, we feel like we're lacking uh, something emotional in our soul. We, we tend to deal with things in a way that, that's improper, a way that, that, that may just help us cope. We, we will use pleasures. Some, some people will find movies or, or maybe some even some ungodly pleasures to bring a little bit of life to themselves. Some people will be bent on spending money to get more material goods because it gives them a little bit of a fix. There are some who, who will be driven to substances. Uh, all kinds of people have, have become alcohol dependent be, to, to help them through their empty seasons or, or, or maybe cannabis or, or some other substance that, to, that gives them that, just that little jolt in the midst of the empty seasons and other people will just withdraw. Withdraw from from everybody else. And in these moments we deal with our emptiness not, not in a way that restores our soul, but it just helps mask the pain or the emptiness we're feeling. It helps us to cope. I want to tell you this. David knew that only God could fill his tank. I love the story in John chapter 7. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus has, has kind of been floating around the, the feast, but hasn't really made too much of an appearance. And now he shows up on the very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Bible tells us he's just kind of standing off in the corner and he's watching the ceremony. The, the priest inside the temp, temple in Jerusalem leaves the temple with a jug, begins to make his way to the pool of Siloam, just on the outskirts of the city. And he will fill this, this vase, this jar, and bring it back to the or to the temple and we'll take the the jar and pour it out and he would do this every single day as a as a symbol of how God had always provided for the Israelites whenever they were in need and Jesus is watching this it's the last day the the priest has gone down has filled the the jar up from the pool of Siloam and now is spilling it out and this jar is pouring out the water and it will become dry and stay dry until one year later when the next Feast of Tabernacles happens. Jesus is watching this. He sees the people in the crowd. This jar represents so many of their lives that, that as they leave this feast, they are going to come to a place where life will 
cause them to be spilt out. They, they will face things in life where they will feel empty. And this jar really is the perfect metaphor for what so many people are facing. And they're going to try to figure out ways to, to refill the jar, but they, they won't refill it. They'll just, they'll just mask the, the problem. They'll mask the pain. They'll mask the emptiness. And Jesus stands up in this moment and he says these words, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me, and out of their belly will flow rivers of living water. And the Bible says in verse 37 of chapter 7 of John that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. He was saying to the crowd, hey, listen, when you are empty, when you come to a place when you're empty, you don't need to be lacking. You need to go to the God who's all-sufficient. You need to go to the Holy Spirit, and He will fill you up. He will restore your soul. He will return your passion. You need to wait in the presence of God. You never need to be lacking when you're empty. God is more than sufficient. God is the only one sufficient enough to bring back life to dead places. God meets our needs when we feel empty. The last thing I think that we see in this passage is that God is all-sufficient when I'm searching. The Bible says, He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. The right paths refers to those roots that are to the goal. It's not just any path. It's not just like getting you on a road that's a nice little journey with, a, with great scenery. It's the path that will get you to your end goal, to, to the place that you're supposed to be. And then he says, not only does God place you on the right paths, but he does it for his name's sake. And his, th this is really talking about th that God is putting you on paths that will lead you to the goal that God intends, that which will bring glory to him through your life. You see, this is not just about the paths that are good, but it's about the paths that God puts you on to complete God objectives for your life. Often we know the goal, but we find ourselves searching for how to get there. A few months, a couple months ago, Ainsley and I were going to go for a bike ride, and, and Eve Desjardins had talked to us about this, this path along the waterway towards Cornwall. And he said to us, just drive to Upper Canada Village. You can park there, get out, get on your bike, and you can drive, ride your bike all the way to Cornwall, take a break, and then come back. Beautiful, right along the seaway. And so Ainsley and I decided this one day that we'd do this, put, put the, the location of Upper Canada Village into the GPS, and we made our way to Upper Canada Village and were ready for the ride. When we got there, we saw that the gates were closed. In this season of COVID, the Upper Canada Village had been closed down. And so we, we were trying to figure out what to do. And finally, a security guard came and we, we said, hey, look, we just want to go for a bike ride. Can we park here? The security guard told us that we weren't able to do that. Things were completely closed down and we would need to move on. We knew where we wanted to get. We wanted to get onto the path for Cornwall. We didn't know what to do. And, and so we're sitting on the side of the road, and I called Eve, but he was out of town. And, and, and so I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know how to get to my location. And, and I found myself searching for, for some solution, and then it struck me. I have a friend who pastors in the area, and he knows the area very well, and so I thought, I better give him a call. I called my friend. I said, hey, look, this is what our plan was. It's not going to work. What should we do so that we can get to our location? He said, oh, that's really easy. He said, get back on the road, and he gave me the instructions. And, and we, we ended up driving for about another 10, 15 minutes. And then we found the spot that he had told us about, and we're able to get onto the path that would take us 
through this, this, this road that was along the seaway from, from one island to the next island and would lead us to Cornwall. He knew the path. He knew the right path to our destination and where we should be because he was familiar with the area. Friends, listen to me for a second. When you're trying to go after the goals that God has for your life, when you're trying to, to fulfill the, the things that God has for you, and when you're trying to live your life with your family, you're trying to live your life at, at work, you're trying to live your own personal life in a way that brings about God's glory for His name, the thing is, is that you need to go to the one who's most familiar with the path that you should be on, and that's God Himself. He, he's the one who's familiar with the paths, the best paths to your goals. He's the one who knows how you should get there. And so often, we, we don't go to God. You see, th this, this phrase, for his name's sake, it's not just God watching. God's invested in your paths. He's invested on you getting to the objectives that he has for your life. He's not this, this absent God, but for his name's sake speaks to this idea that God is invested in you getting to the places he has for you. We just fail to ask. We just fail to ask. A couple years ago, my son got married, and uh, I had a very frustrating moment. The wedding was at 1 o'clock, and, and at 12.30, my mom calls me, my mom and my sister, and, and they said, Jeff, we're lost. I said, well, whereabouts are you? They described where they were, and they were on the west end of Toronto, so far from where, from where the wedding was. And I said, what are you doing out there? Well, we don't know where we're going. I started to talk to them, and they had, they had talked to somebody who kind of gave them some directions as to where to go, but they had no GPS, they had no data available, their phone was almost dead, they didn't get a map, they were just driving around Toronto hoping to, to get to this wedding. As I was trying to talk to them and I'm asking them questions and trying to wrap my mind around why they are lost, I finally got frustrated and I said, can I just ask you a question? What was your plan? Did, did you just hope that you would drive around Toronto and that you would get to, the, the, you would somehow get to the church where this wedding was? Of all the churches in Toronto, you would just accidentally walk, you would accidentally drive into the, the location? Is that your plan? I was so frustrated. And, and they said, don't worry about it, we'll figure it out and, and let me go. And I was like, how in the world are they going to figure it out? I started to panic that they weren't going to make it in time for my son's wedding. And so I finally called them back and said, tell me where you are. They, they told me, I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this road. You follow this road straight down to this road. You just need to remember two roads. Take this next road and take a right and you'll follow that along and after X number of minutes you should hit the church. Sure enough, they made it on time for the wedding. They just need it the instructions for me. They just needed to ask. They, they, were, they were trying to go about, trying to get to the right location, but they just hadn't asked how to get there. And it was absolutely ridiculous. And friends, sometimes that's what we do in life. We're trying to get to the right location with our marriage. We're trying to get to the right location with our spiritual life. We're trying to get to the right location with our neighbors, the right location with our kids, the right location with, with our work, the right location in so many areas of our life. We know that God's got a destination for us to get to, but we just kind of randomly hope that we land there. And God's wanting us to ask Him 
for the next steps, the, the, the directions, the right path so that we can get there. We need to keep listening to his voice because his instructions are vital. Some of you may be watching today thinking to yourself, but what happens if I don't know the destination? Well, what if I don't know the, 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 the place that God wants to take me? Well, that's okay. You see, when we are in search of the destination, we simply need to ask God for the next step. We, we don't need to know the final place of arrival. You simply need to know where God wants you to place your foot next. If you don't know the destination, you're searching for what to do. Ask God, God, where do I place my foot next? You don't need to be lacking in direction with your life. You don't need to, to, to walk around in circles. You don't need to be driving all over the metaphorical Toronto. You simply need to say, God, what is my next step? Should I step forward? Should I step to the left? Should I step to the right? Should I step backwards? Where do I take my next step? And if you will allow God to lead you, he will get you to his destination for your life because it's for his name's sake. God always is sufficient when we're searching. There's a story of a mother who is in a grocery store, and she's got all her groceries, and she begins to put them on the conveyor belt for the cashier to, to ring it all in. Behind her is a little boy, and he's, he's hiding behind this, this lady's body, and he's peering out, and, and the cashier happens to be the owner of the store. It's, it's a very small store, and the, the cashier, the, the owner of the store, sees the little boy, and he tries to get his attention, and, and he says a few things to him, but the, the little boy is not responding. So finally, the, the owner says to this little boy, hey, why don't you put your hand, and he pulls out this jar full of suckers, why don't you put your hand in this jar and take as many suckers as you want? Take as many lollipops as you want. The little boy's eyes widen right up. And he, he looks at the jar and looks at the man, but he doesn't move. And the, the man says once again, why don't you put your hand into the, the jar and take as many lollipops as you want? The boy continues to hide behind his mom. Finally, the man realizes the boy's not going to do anything. And so the man reaches his own hand down and grabs the largest handful of lollipops he can. And he pulls them out and he reaches down to the little boy. And the little boy puts out his hands and receives the lollipops and says, thank you. Two of them walk out of the store. As they're leaving the store, the mother turns to her son. And she, says, she says, honey, I, I don't understand it. You were being really shy there. She said, why didn't you reach your hand into the jar to take the lollipops that the man said you could? The little boy get, got a little twinkle in his eye and he smiled and he said, because mom, that man's hand is bigger than mine. You see, he understood that if he put his hand into the jar, he'd only get a little amount. But if he allowed the man to put his hand into the jar, he would get an abundance of lollipops. Let me tell you this. You are not to go through life trying to fix every situation with your hand, putting your hand into your situations. Because when you put your hand into the proverbial lollipop jar, you will always come out lacking. 
But if you will trust God, if you will go to the great shepherd like David did and allow him to put his big hand into that jar and reach in, he will always provide more than enough. He will always show you his abundance. You see, because our shepherd is all sufficient. When we're in need, he provides. When we're empty, he fills us up. And when we're searching, he leads us on the paths for his name's sake. Our shepherd is all-sufficient. We never have to be lacking. So, Father, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. I pray that my friends today would know that you are the all-sufficient one. They would never be lacking. They would know that you meet every one of our needs. And like Paul, they would understand that you give us enough from meal to meal. You give us enough for today. May we trust you to meet all our needs. May we know that you are the one who provides when we are empty. That you're the one who restores our soul. You're the one who returns our passion. And may we do what Jesus said, come to you, so that we might experience rivers of life, that restored passion and full of vigor again. Allow us to trust you. And lastly, God, I pray that when we're searching and not sure what to do, what direction to take, whether we know the, the end goal or not, would we come to the one who gives us the sufficient information for what the next step is? May we turn to our shepherd who provides all that we need. Let us never be lacking, but come to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.